Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. I'd just like to welcome you all here to the Art Gallery of South Australia. My name is Tracy Locke, the Curator of Australian Art, and I welcome you to this very special exhibition, our temporary exhibition titled uh, Surrealist at Sea. And I speak to you today in this really fabulous space that we refer to as the space dedicated to the theme of the islands. And um, my topic for today, it is to do with really discussing aspects of the spiritual and the mystical in the work of Voita and Dushan Marek. So, on reflection, I, I really have felt, now that we've lived with the exhibition for some weeks now, I thought I would actually focus this talk almost exclusively on the work of Wojta Marek. Um, the reason for this being that he is really the lesser-known artist of the two brothers, and, um, but, you know, his contribution to Australian art is not less by any means. And in fact, the staging of this exhibition, the first joint exhibition of the brothers' work since 1949. So it's a really exciting time for us to have their work assembled together and so that we can have a look at their work and, and reassess it and understand it, try and understand it a, a little better. So certainly now that the exhibition, as I mentioned, has rested for a while, I really wanted to, I think Dushin is very much better known up until this point in time than Voita. So again, I'm going to focus on the work of, of Voita. Interestingly, Dushin, the younger brother, Voita was seven years older than Dushin, and Dushin declared himself a surrealist as a boy at the age of 14 while they were still living in, in Czechoslovakia. And really to declare yourself a surrealist, surrealism is not really to be understood as, as a kind of art movement, if you like. If you're going to be a surrealist, it is actually something you be. You, you are one, you live the life of a surrealist, you live the life of a political activist, you live the life of someone who's really working against the bourgeoisie and, and the Western forces. So challenging society and being a revolutionary was something that Dushin identified himself as and his life course. And he really never wavered from that. Uh, throughout the course of his whole life. Whereas Voita, being seven years older, was actually slightly different. I've mentioned to you, with Dushan declaring himself a surrealist, when you look at Dushan's work, his work does generally focus much more on aspects of the unconscious aspects of the illogical, aspects of the dream state, and, and aspects of chance and randomness. Whereas Voita, you know, maybe even privately, I like to play with the idea that he may well have declared himself as a spiritualist. 
he was actually deeply interested in religion. The two boys, the two brothers, grew up in a small village in uh, Czechoslovakia, and this region where their village was, was was really referred to as sort of apparently locally as paradise, a little patch of paradise. And they live very close, in close proximity to the Bohemian woods, the beautiful cedar trees, the ancient cedar trees, and the pine trees, and the beautiful sandstone cliffs. And their father, who was in fact a spiritual healer, encouraged his boys to engage with nature and to really explore nature in a way to really reach some degree, I believe, of spiritual insight. So they absorbed these influences as very young boys. However, their father, Wojta's father, Dushan's father, did not bring up the boys to follow a particular religion. His father was very anti-religion and very upset by the fact that the Pope had blessed the uh, cannons and, and the firearms of the First World War. And so that was a de decisive act in their father's mind of turning away from religion and turning away from a belief system. However, as a young man studying in Prague, Wojta was, at the age of 21, very moved when he first heard the Lord's Prayer. And he went on to study com comparative religion at university. And he was very interested in not only in Western religions, but also Eastern religions. So in a way, this is, was very much a part of Dushan as a, as a young man, these interests and, and spiritual beliefs. We know that despite his father's opinion, Wojta actually converted to Catholicism. We don't know when. We don't know whether he converted before he came to Australia or later, but certainly the flourish in his production and his work uh, in Australia points to perhaps a, a, a later sort of um, manifestation, if you like, of, of that belief. So whenever you move through the exhibition or perhaps go through the catalogue, you will be taken back, I, I would imagine, as I was, you're taken back by the sheer enormity of their lives and what they experienced. So, of course, the boys grew up and early on experienced Nazi occupation in Czechoslovakia. They experienced two years of freedom before the brutal communists uh, occupied Czechoslovakia, at which time in um, 1948, very only within a matter of months of the communists arriving in Prague, the boys fled. And under the cover of darkness, they escaped to American-occupied Germany. They were remained in a camp for a few months and eventually made their way vicariously to Australia, arriving in Australia in October 1948. The story is very much documented uh, here in the exhibition. But to just step back and try and comprehend those life experiences, I think 
it's like being in a, it's like living 10 lives in one. Certainly by Favoita's case, he was 29 when he arrived here in Australia. He'd, it almost seems like he'd lived 10 lives and had many, many experiences. So I'm not going to dwell on, on the details of their life experience except to say that no doubt it informed their work. I'm standing here deliberately because I'm in close uh, proximity to a major work in the exhibition by Wojta Marek and it is called, titled, All Secrets Remain Hidden. And in a way it's like the hero image of the whole exhibition because this exhibition is heavily veiled. The content of this exhibition is deeply obscured. We don't necessarily know what the artist's thoughts were at any point in time, what they were exactly trying to say. And their impulses, no doubt, and clearly were very, very strong. So I'll just flag that for you, that the major title is All Secrets Remain Hidden. So. I will continue to kind of chat on for a little while longer yet, but I'm hopeful in doing so you will come away with a little bit more insight into these very mysterious artists. So returning to Voita, he arrives here at the age of 29. He comes out with his, the love of his life, Vera. She arrives on a different ship. She arrives ahead of him, but essentially they settle in Adelaide he commences work, certainly exhibits his work, but he works as a jeweller, as a, as a metalsmith to provide for the family. And he does this in, with excellence. And he is employed by shepherds jewellers because he had trained as a metalsmith in, in Prague and had all of those incredibly fine skills. But his passion was for sculpture. And again, this is where the two artists diverge in their practices. If you look around this exhibition, you'll find that Dushan, the surrealist, true, living, real surrealist, uh, was very much more committed to working in, in producing drawings and, and paintings and, of course, film. But Voita's passion was for sculpture, always working in the three-dimensional realm. So after 10 years in Adelaide, practicing uh, with his work, Voita, and certainly working as a jeweler, he decided that it was time to reevaluate his life. The whole reason he fled his home and his homeland was to have the freedom to work as a sculptor. And he thought, here I am in Adelaide, obviously, for 10 years, and I really need to commit to that decision. And so he essentially, he and his, his wife, Vera, had fantasized early on in Czechoslovakia about this idea of working as lighthouse keepers. And of course, Czechoslovakia is a landlocked country, and so there was very much the sea and the ocean occupied a large part of their imagination. So an opportunity came up in Adelaide for Vera and Wojta and their two young children, Ivan, who was three, and Olga, who was five, to spend time working as lighthouse keepers on Kangaroo Island. And so a lot of the works behind me here in this space are works actually produced by Voita while he was working on Kangaroo Island. And it was a time, as I said, he thought it would give him 
The space and the freedom, instead of having to earn income every day with his jewellery making, he would have more time to produce art. What's really interesting, however, is his time in Kangaroo Island, when you read about it and, and read Vera's beautiful transcript about their time there, she actually, they both regarded their time on Kangaroo Island as the best time of their lives. However, he didn't produce a lot of work. So some of the examples behind me here, you can see first up immediately the modesty of the work. He produced a few sculptures. One of my favourite works that he produced on Kangaroo Island is this beautiful pieta uh, made um, of lead, cast in lead. And also a beautiful sculpture of his daughter, Olga, is, is one of my favourites. He produced some photographs, but also some drawings, including this one I mentioned already called All Secrets Remain. Now, I'm thinking, as I, I tend to overanalyse, uh, and think about what it would have been like to have that time to reflect and contemplate. Now, it turns out that actually when Wojta fled Czechoslovakia, he fled from his young daughter and he fled from his wife, another wife. When you get the chance to have a look closely at this drawing that he produced on Kangaroo Island, you'll note that it contains it's very sort of has strong feminist, feminine, sorry, imagery. And the face of a woman that's looking at you front on is half obscured by a veil. And the veil is slowly being drawn across, away from her face by a bird in flight. On the right hand side of the image is a skull. And inside the eye socket of the skull is a lamb. And I wonder whether his time on Kangaroo Island reflecting on the life that he had left behind is coming through in the imagery of this beautiful drawing. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb, possibly. And it also looks very much like a child's toy. So again, we will never know what that, the content of that drawing is truly about. But what is very clear when you read his, his quotes and so forth about his experience on Kangaroo Island is it seems he almost underwent a kind of awakening. And it was his response to nature. And so I'm going to just turn my page over here and find some quotes where he describes his time on Kangaroo Island. Voita Marek said that he found being in proximity with the sea, quote, was a great spiritual experience. And high in his lighthouse tower, and can you imagine being up high in those towers, enveloped by sea? He had a panoptic vision and that sense of awe and wonder of the landscape and the sea all merging together would have been very, a powerful experience. He described it as, you found nature and the sea overwhelming. 
you felt it was all a huge exhibition in which you were but a spectator and where you didn't feel it was necessary to add anything because it was all so perfect. There was the temptation not to do any art at all. It was already complete and done. However, the time there really clarified his vision and he aspired to radiate feeling and express the continuing flow of his conscious awareness. I knew what one had to do to reach the harmony that was at the scenery at Cape de Kudik. So they were based, first of all, I believe, at Cape Willoughby and then most of their time over there, they were there for two years, uh, was at Cape de Kudik. He wrote at the time just before they left Kangaroo Island to his brother Dushan and it was an enigmatic letter and he, he alludes to his island awakening and he says, I don't know how to describe it better. It is in me. And he mentions that it, it is though he has to wake up in order to speak in a lively manner. And he says, do you remember Dushan, my prophecy? So again... It's unclear what he's really meaning. But the reality is they understood that the children really needed a more stable, normal, if you like, life and brought the children back to the mainland. And they secured a housing trust home at Warradale, not far from the beach here in Adelaide. And he returned to work, but he worked in a factory where they made iron garden gates and shopping trolleys and I believe also baskets for bicycles. And he learned to weld. And what happened when he was working in this factory was suddenly he had this kind of epiphany where he started to sculpt using these materials of the iron and, and the wire to create large drawings, if you like, in, in metal. And you will see examples of these drawings in the next space that we refer to as the church space. Now, interestingly, as he starts to do this, he returns to his sculptural practice through welding at this point in time. But we're also creeping towards the early 1960s, and there is a complete change in the Catholic Church. You have Vatican II... Also, at that time, you have a huge wave of European migrants coming into Australia, and particularly into Adelaide. So you get this enormous production and building of new churches and revising the approach to how to build and design Catholic churches in particular. And so suddenly, Voiter found an incredible kind of groove, if you like, producing sculpture for the Catholic Church. And what has been exciting about this exhibition is it has been a way to document his output in the number of the commissions he produced. And it turns out uh, Voiter actually was commissioned to produce all kinds of things, altars, candlesticks, ecclesiastical objects, baptismal fonts, crucifixes and so forth in every state and territory in the nation. So it was a huge amount of work that he produced. 
What's really interesting too is to read about how, as a practicing Catholic, what's really interesting is, uh, certainly as a practicing Catholic, he was very aware, and being a sculptor, he was very aware of um, the poor state of mass-produced imported religious statuary that decorated all the Catholic churches and religious kitsch, if you like, and, and, and objects that really didn't include the hand of the maker. And he described them as made of plaster and painted white and blue for Our Lady and pink and red for Christ and benevolent saccharine expressions. He said they seemed to represent a shallow love. I tried to show what I could of the infinite depths of love, not something simply sweet, but something immensely profound. And so he was inspired to create religious works that encompass such emotions as adoration, compassion, suffering, grief, triumph and spiritual wonder. And I was thinking this morning when I was looking at the face of Christ here in this Pieta, it is prefigures his work when he returns from Kangaroo Island. And if you have a close look in the next space, it's some of the faces of Christ that he's produced. The expressions on the faces are sublime. Incredibly powerful and, and moving. But you can capture where he was heading in this formative work, this island work. I feel like these artists are just island hopping, you know, coming to Australia, then going to the New Guinea Islands, Dushan, and then across to Kangaroo Island. So he believed that ecclesiastical art should harmonise with modern architectural styles and ensure that the people have no distractions. It must appeal to the spirit to lift and elevate them. And in the accompanying catalogue, you will see images of some of the church interiors where Voiter worked intimately with the architects and in the design of the church interiors, and they are extraordinary, incredibly beautiful fusion between the ecclesiastical objects and the interior of the interior spaces of the church. Absolute. You know, in a way, it's like a huge leap in Australian visual cultural life, his contribution to the, the church and, and religious art. And in fact, he continued to receive a stream of commissions, but unfortunately and very sadly, he was, Voita was in a terrible car accident and sustained terrible uh, head injuries and other injuries, and that was in May 1973. And essentially, while he continued on with his sculptural practice and with family and friends and so forth, helping him in his foundry, his wife said that really that accident took an emotional toll. So he really had reached his pinnacle in his practice uh, prior to 1973. His contribution was such that in 1997, he received an official papal blessing in acknowledgement of his contribution to Christian art. And we're told that he took that blessing, carried it with him 
in and out of hospital with him later in life. It was so dear to him. He passed away in 1999. So to conclude, it's just been such a thrill to really gain some greater comprehension of the significance of Voiter's contribution to, to Australian art. And of course, to realise that for three decades he had completed all of these major com commissions across the nation. But in many ways, for me, I feel as though the ecclesiastical work that is a feature of the room next to us does embody that sense of the spiritual in some of his pieces, particularly the Madonna that you will see as you go through on the stand, her face, so simply uh, rendered, but the power of her expression is really quite humbling. So he achieves very much a sense of the spiritual in this work. But for me, it's his private practice, such as this drawing here, where the works remain more mystical, where we will never really be able to fully comprehend them. The religious work, we know where we're going with it. We know what the point of it is and that drive that he had from the very beginning to focus on achieving that higher consciousness. So we understand that. But these personal works that are along these walls, I find quite extraordinary. And I'm going to finish with uh, pointing out one other drawing, which none of you can see, but it's around the corner here, and it's called Untitled Bearded Man. But I will urge you, after this talk, please take some time to have a look at the drawing, because for me, it's like a self-portrait. It says it all. A little bit like this one, which is powerful. This drawing of the bearded man, you see the repeat motifs he's used with the kind of praying hands. You often find the sort of wandering pilgrim in his work as well. Images like the lamb, but also doves. This has a figure of a man with his hands very gently. The man is holding his hands down in the drawing, coming from very far above, very cosmic in his presence in the drawing. But if you look very, very closely, just between, just between his fingertips, it's the tiniest little figure tiny, tiny little figure. And there he is. And just above him is this other tiny, tiny figure. And it's a descending dove. And I can't help but be really moved by that drawing and feel as though that's Voiter, right by those little fingertips. In an instant, he could be squished by those fingers, but there he is holding his own in that space, that tiny space, this little finger. And coming down is a beautiful dove. So to me, it shows a sense of the immensity, the limitlessness, the cosmic nature of some of Voiter's thoughts and his, his position on Earth, his resting on Earth within that cosmic world. So kind of, I guess, 
perhaps on that note, just summarising really that I feel his works really touch on the spiritual, his religious ecclesiastical work, his personal work, more obscured, more fascinating, more puzzling, uh, but much more mystical. And so perhaps on that point, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I would be very happy to receive uh, any questions that you may have. Yes. There were. It's a fantastic question. Thank you, Shane. Because I, didn't, I would deliberately didn't go into it because, of course, what's confusing, what can be confusing is all surrealism is littered with paradox and ironies. And the thing is, André Breton, who wrote the first manifesto on surrealism in 1924 and then later a second manifesto in 1929, publicly strived to eliminate all religion. They were anti-Catholic, despite the fact, of course, André Breton, the founder of the movement, was regarded and referred to commonly as the Pope. Um, so generally, surrealists were very anti, um, uh, what's the word, uh, authority, uh, anti-institutions, and they didn't really believe in it at all. Of course, what their real interest was, was in supporting um, really non-Western cultures. They believed that Western cultures were simply corrupt and all the rationality of Western cultures, all they ever did, apparent rationality, was lead to war and privilege and exclusion and, and negativity, but they believed the, the non-Western cultures were more intimately engaged with nature and the other realm. So there was a more pure and honest approach to life in living in that way and turning against the institutions of the West, include, including the Catholic Church. But there were many... Um, Many, many, again, to add to the confusion, many artists who were practicing cubists or surrealists that were also religious. Uh, Dali uh, is, is one. Uh, but also the figure uh, Albert Glaze, a, a founding cubist, was a Catholic uh, and established a commune uh, and worked and associated with those avant-garde circles as well. Very common. And in fact, that's what you have to sort of, in a way, it's what I was alluding to at the beginning of the talk, is we almost need to become comfortable with the not knowing, but also the confusion and the paradox of it all. So we might leave it at that. And thank you, thank you so much for your attention and, and patience. Thank you. Thank you.